God, Lord, we thank you today. We get to have a real encounter with you. Lord, we thank you that you are in this place. And Lord, you are going amongst your people here today to touch, to heal, to mend, to restore. Lord, so today in this place, Lord, thank you for the work that you are already doing. And Lord, I pray that as I speak, Lord, it wouldn't be words from me, but Lord, it would be your words to your people because you've got a word for your people to encourage them, to strengthen them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. You know, I've just been thinking, and God's just been doing some stuff in me over the last few weeks, and I've just been thinking about the world in which we live. You know, and if you look at the time in which we live, we're living in an incredible generation. We're living in a generation like never before where advancements are taking place all around us. You know, you just think about the mobile phones that we hold in our hands. More technology locked up in them than what put us um, um, a rocket on the moon. You look at the self-driving cars that are being um, done. You look at the fact that now you can be in Australia chatting with somebody in a room in Newport, Wales, through FaceTime or through Skype. You look at how you can connect with people the world over through the technology that's advancing at a rate like never before. I mean, who would have thought that we would have been living in the Jetson day and age? Has anyone ever seen the program, The Jetsons, where they're flying around and they're doing all stuff like that? I was brought up in Canada, so if you haven't seen it, it's because I watched that in Canada. Um, but I really enjoyed it, and it was all about all the fun stuff that was happening in the future, the space age, the stuff. And I can't believe that we are here in a world filled literally filled with advancement, an advancement that is just like spiraling and new things all the time. But you know, in the world of technological advancement, you would think that the technology and the advancement would see our world in a better place. But I don't know about you. When I look at the world in which we live, I see more relational discord than ever before. I see of wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation. You read the statistics of children who are being abused. You read the statistics of relationships and marriages that are failing. You hear the agenda on the political scene of how God wants to bring his own voice into the world in which we live and set laws in motion that God never created. You know, where God would, you know, God made us, yet man wants to completely usurp everything that God has done and say, no, we're going to do it our way. And you know, over recent weeks, as I read the prayer requests, you know, there's times when I read them and, you know, I cry. And just a few weeks ago, there were, there were prayer requests. <laughs> and we read about four people that had all wanted to commit suicide. 
or I tried to commit suicide. Now, in a church of a few hundred people, when you get prayer requests like that, my heart breaks because I think, Jesus, you came. You came, you never, you never sent a smartphone to heal humanity. You sent a savior. And I think, Jesus, we've got it all. We've got the gadgets, we've got it all. And yet the human heart and the human life is so important and valued, yet it's being struck down one way or another where people are just being battered and bruised by life. And you know, the last few weeks, like literally, I'd go to bed like Jesus. Like I remember praying, Lord, you can, you can meet somebody in their room right now. You can give them joy. And I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, we've got to see this. There are people that want to end their lives and they don't even know the life that you came to give them. And it was four o'clock the other morning. Well, it was about a week ago and four o'clock in the morning. And I I was up and I was like, Jesus, there are people and they're just at the end of their tether. And Lord, Lord, you know, when you're just like Jesus, words are beyond me, but I'm Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. And you know what? The scripture came to me and I've not thought about this scripture for a long time. And I couldn't have even told you where it was located in the Bible. But the scripture that just came to me at four o'clock in the morning is when the enemy comes in like the flood, the spirit of God raises a standard against him. When the enemy comes up in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord raises a standard against him. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God raises a standard against him. And I woke up and I'm like, where is that scripture? Where is that scripture? And that scripture is found in Isaiah 59, 19. And it talks about, it's an amazing um, passage. And I was actually dropping the girls off to school and I started reading the passage and I was crying. I was an emotional, emotional wreck. I started reading that passage of scripture because in that that whole chapter it deals about when the Israelites they leave Babylon where they had been in captivity and they return back to their homeland and yet you see in there you see that everything is going wrong and the the passage starts talking about first of all it's a prophet looking at the sins of the people and then you see that the people crying out to God and saying we're like wandering we're wandering in the dark and I'll, I'll actually find what it says because it says, um, we are looking for light, but find only darkness. We look for bright skies, but we walk in gloom. We grope like the blind along a wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. And I read the scripture and I began to weep because I was like, Lord, this is like the state of the community that we are living in. And I began to look, and do you know what? Right at the end, you see, you see the prophet talking about how the sins of the people had disconnected them from God. God hadn't disconnected himself from his people, but the sins of the people had disconnected them from God. And then you see the people crying and saying, there's no justice, and they recognize their sin. And do you know what you see towards the end of the scripture? which is so powerful. At the end, you see that God comes in 
as redeemer. And it says, the Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see no one intervene to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice disdained them. And I began to look and read and you're like, oh my goodness, this is, this in Isaiah is actually foretelling what the Messiah was going to do. This is foretelling what God was going to do through Jesus. You know, he saved his people all throughout time and he did. He stepped in in the midst of that passage. He stepped in. But also this scripture is saying this is what he's making the way for letting us know what the Messiah is going to do. Letting us know what God was going to do through Jesus as he came to earth. You know, he said Jesus was going to come and he was going to be a a redeemer. He was going to be a savior. He was going to be a sanctifier. And I read that scripture and I thought, Lord Jesus, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God raises a standard against him. Do you know what? God has not left humanity without an answer. He has sent say, Jesus as Savior into humanity to be the deliverer, to change us. He's brought the answer through the person of Jesus. But do you know what? I began to think about that scripture some more. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God raises a standard against him. And I began to look in the book of Matthew. And I just began to read from the beginning of Matthew. I began to read about the genealogy of Jesus. I began to read about the narrative of when Jesus came to earth in the form of a baby. I began to read about how he was, but Jesus was baptized and how he went into the desert. And then you see when Jesus, his public ministry gets launched, probably in about chapter four of Matthew. And you begin to say that he, he started healing people. He started touching people. He started addressing people's needs. But you know, the thing that got me as I read on was found in Matthew 5. You know, we know that God sent Jesus. And you know, when you look at the teachings and what Jesus taught about, I think it's a really powerful thing that we can grasp hold of. In Isaiah 59, when you look about the sins of the people, I'm gonna read them to you because you'll see that they're not sins of idol worship. They're not sins against God. But actually, the sin that was being committed in Isaiah 59 was sin against each other. And it says this, in verse 3, it says this, this is what the prophet says about the people. Your hands are the hands of murderers. Your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies and your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and then they give birth to sin. And then later on in the scripture, you see how the people describe the state of their lives. And in verse 13, it says this, we know we have rebelled and have denied the Lord. We've turned our backs on our God. We know how unfair and oppressive we have been, carefully planning our deceitful lies. Our courts oppose the righteous. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in courts at the moment. 
where the righteous are being opposed and where evil and where, you know, sin is being allowed to just go and, and have reign. It says our courts oppose the righteous and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. And I began to look at that, and then you look. So in Isaiah, you see how the sins of the people are all about each other, and I thought, it's all in towards each other. And I thought, how true, how true it is of our generation now. You know, relationships are under attack all the time. And do you know what? Relationships are the glue, really, that keeps humanity together. And the enemy, through sin, has, has a long history of using relationships, anger, resentment, jealousy, to try and, and, to, to try and get us undone. You know, wars, conflict. You know, relationships are under attack all the time. And the enemy wants to come in because the enemy comes in to kill kill, steal, and destroy. But do you know what? In 1 John 3 verse 8, it says that God, Jesus, came to destroy the work of the enemy. It says the Son of God came to destroy the works of the evil one. The enemy, this is a, not a new tactic. You know, yes, we get bombarded with all the excitement of technology, but you've got to understand the enemy is at work in our lands, and he wants to come and seek to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants relationships to be frazzled and broken. But the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God raises a standard against him. So that means that if the enemy is out trying to do and trying to, to completely break down humanity, Jesus, he comes not only as a son, a baby, a savior, but it says he will come to raise a standard a standard against him. And as I read through Matthew, I was amazed to see that as Jesus went about doing good, what are the first teachings that Jesus talks about? You know, the first teachings as his public ministry gets launched are all to do with relationships. You know, he doesn't come to address anything else, but he comes to sort us out. And I love that the Bible does not say, I'm going to come and raise a standard against you and then leave us on our own to try and work out what to do. But Jesus comes in the form of a baby and he comes and he comes as savior and redeemer. And then as his ministry outflows, he's like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you because you know what? On our own, we're not so good at sorting things out. I don't know about you, but if I'm left to my own devices, I'm really great at botching up. Is anybody else in here a bit like that? We're great. And because Proverbs talks about it, it says there is a way that seems right to a man. But it only lends in destruction. We have a whole lot of things going on in our world right now that seems right to man. And man is making that law and man is saying this is the way that we are going to live. But do you know what? The way that seems right to man, there is only one pathway. There is only one end to it. And it's called destruction. It's called destruction. And do you know what? Jesus says, no. No. 
He says, no, I am not going to leave humanity here where they don't know what to do, where they're grappling around looking for the right way. He says, no, I am going to come and I am going to show them my standard and I'm going to show them how the God wants to work in our lives. I'm going to show them how to relate to one another because we're rubbish at it. We think we're great, but actually we're not that great. And I love in Matthew 5, through to um, Matthew 5, all the way through to Matthew 7, you just see that God, he doesn't address anything about what houses you're going to live in. He doesn't talk about how you're going to travel around. He doesn't say, okay, make sure this, make sure you're, I'm going to give you a computer and da, da, da. He doesn't talk about anything like that. But when Jesus comes and launches his public ministry, he says, I'm going to set the standard. I'm going to set the standard. And do you know what? For me, I'm like, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you come to set the standard. Thank you that you come to show us the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But he shows us his the way. He shows us what to do. And I say that because, you know, when relationships go wrong, it can really go wrong and it can leave you miserable. And God doesn't want anybody in this place to live with miserable relationships. He doesn't want anyone in this place to make other people's lives a misery. Jesus in this place says, no, this is the way to do it. But do you know what? Us, as his children, we first of all got to say, well, what does the word say? What does the word say? Hello Magazine and Instagram is not going to show us the way in which that we need to love and react and love the people in our lives. If we are really followers of Jesus, we've really got to find out what Jesus says. And you know, we've got to grow up. We live in a society where we, you know, we don't even read stuff anymore, really, do we? we? Because we're so bombarded. Do you notice we're bombarded with everything? You can have a conversation with somebody with your phone beeping and you're checking out your social media. You've got go, all stuff going on. All stuff going on. All stuff. Bombarded. This, that, this, that, this, that. And life is full and we're running, you know, cars are fantastic. But that means we go to faraway places to do stuff. School isn't in the community anymore, the way you live. My kids go on a bus to a different town to go to school. You know, and it's just time, time, time. And everyone's vying for our time. And our minds get filled with all these things that are enjoyable. Do you know what? Gadgets are enjoyable. Has anyone noticed that? Gadgets actually can be a bit addictive. You pick it up first thing in the morning. You know, there is, uh, gadgets are addictive. And you know, the, nothing wrong with gadgets. I love them. But all I'm saying is let's just make sure as followers of Jesus, we don't make our gadget the God, but we actually find out what our God says about our lives. So if you are fumbling in the dark and you're like, ah, how has this gone wrong again? Ah, how has this gone wrong again? Well, just have a look and think, okay, let's examine things. There is a way that seems right to man, but that path leads to destruction. Let me think. 
Am I living the way the Bible says? Well, I don't know. Well, why don't you know? Oh, because I haven't read it. So what do we have to do then? We've got to go in to have a look to see what it says. And I love that the Bible is so simple. I love, I read it and I think, oh my goodness. Faye, you are a donut. You just get it wrong all the time. We constantly have to be reminded. And God doesn't come like I would come to humanity and get frustrated with us. He doesn't do that. He comes and I says, listen, I've got this way. It's the standard. And I'm not only going to tell you the standard, but I'm going to send you somebody to help you to live the standard. And I am going to give you something called the Spirit of God. And I am going to show you how the fruits of the Spirit of your, in your life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I know that because I know a song about the fruits of the Spirit from King's Kids. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. You've got to learn all these things different ways. Anyway, that's how I know the fruits of the Spirit, not because I memorized it, but my kids came home telling me what they were through a coconut and a strawberry. But anyway, I'm just saying it's really good for us to find out what the standard is because God has got it all unlocked. And I love actually, if you go home and you're like, Faye, I haven't known where to look in the Bible for a while to read. And I know there's lots of things to read. Can I just say, maybe start off in Matthew, Matthew 5, read through to Matthew 7 and you'll see that Jesus just unpacks a whole lot of stuff to help us navigate our relationships really well really well. I haven't got time to read two chapters to you today, but what I will do is I'll, um, I'll tell you some of the things. Just a few of the things. Okay, whoever gets problems with anger? Okay. So, if you get angry with people, okay, there's a whole bit in Matthew 5. Let me see. I've kind of got loads of scriptures here. Let me see if I can find the longer version. Have you? You can tell me after, Cain. All right. Perfect. Okay. So it says this. I say to you, if you were even angry with someone, you were subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, the fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. What does idiot flying through your mouth say? We ain't controlled the little tongue and we're just flying words out. It says, if you call somebody an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before court. If you curse someone, do you know what? I know these things, we, when we get hot-headed, we do these things, but Jesus says no. He says, if you get, listen, he says, don't do it. He says, actually, if you're going to present a gift, like say at the altar in church or whatever, and you remember... Not that you have somebody, something against somebody, but it says if you remember that someone has something against you, it says leave your sacrifice, leave your gift, and go and be reconciled to that person. 
then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Well, that's really hard. Well, yeah, it is. But do you know what? Fragmented relationships are even harder. And sometimes we're really great at standing on our, you know, our, what is it? We stand on our soapbox. I'm not moving. They can come to me. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, no, if somebody's got something against you, go to them and say, hey, we don't want to live like this. And it's not easy, but when the enemy comes in like the flood, the Spirit of God raises a standard. The standard is, let's go sort it out. Let's go, let's go make amends. Do you know that it talks about, the Bible talks about, don't let, don't let the sun go down on anger. You know, it's not worth it. It's not worth going to bed with anger in your heart against somebody else. Gotta sort it out. You know, it talks about enemies. We all have people in our lives that we don't like. And it says, you have heard the law say, love your, na- um, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I reckon that's why we don't read some of the bits in the Bible, because if we don't know them, it's like ignorant is bliss, isn't it? But actually, it is bliss until Proverbs comes into, uh, into action and you realize you're destroying your life. But sometimes we just got to grow up. Sometimes we have got to grow up and we've got to say, no, I'm not going to behave like a child. I'm going to behave the way that Jesus has told me that I can do. Listen to this about, um, let me see, judging. We all like to have a little good nose at somebody else, don't we? And just like da-da-da. You know, the Bible says don't look at the speck in somebody else's eye. Look at the massive plank in your own eye. And then it goes on. It says don't judge others and you'll not be judged. That's really easy, isn't it? I like that. Don't judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. Okay, that's really simple. But we like to treat people with judgment sometimes. We like to notice the things in other people's lives that aren't quite right. And then, you know, we like that. But then we like the blood of Jesus to wash us free from sin in our lives and for his grace to follow, cover us and for nobody to notice how we're botching up our own lives. But the Bible says just don't judge. Don't judge. It says the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So maybe if stuff is happening and you feel like the accusing finger is coming at you, perhaps have a look when you put the accusing finger at somebody else. Because the Bible talks about you reap what you sow. We all know that if you want to eat sweet corn, you've got to plant corn in the ground. If we, we know the whole thing about life is all about sowing and reaping. We see it, we eat it, we watch it. But the Bible also talks about life and death is in the power of the tongue. And you know, sometimes we're really good at getting this out and using it against other people and using it to criticize other people. And we expect our lives to flourish and bloom and we expect everybody to think that we're amazing. Yet we're behind the scenes, we're doing this. Well, do you know what's gonna catch up on us? It catches up. Do not have a judgmental spirit. Jesus says, don't do it. 
right? If you go into the workplace, if you go anywhere, I've been in school, we've all been to school. I've been in college, some of us are working now. Has anyone noticed that there's lots of this that goes on? There's lots of this that goes on, right? This is happening the world over, but do you know what? We've got to really watch and think, no, I'm not getting involved in this. I am not getting involved. You know, the Bible talks about not gossiping. It's just don't say bad things about people. Do you know, it really, it really makes me feel uneasy when I hear conversations where people are being slated. Do you know what? I want to use my words to speak life. I want to use my words to speak encouragement. I want to use my words to build up. I don't want to be the tearer down. You know, and I love that Jesus, as he, in his ministry, was just so simple. So simple, but really profound in the things that he says. You know, the whole chapters, it talks about everything. It talks about how to treat people. Two to others, what you would like them to do to you. You know, Jesus raises a standard so that we can live relationships that are flourishing. But you know, it does require a choice. It does require a choice. I look at my life and I'm like, Faye, I've got to make choices all the time. I've got to make choices all the time about how I live. And I think, Jesus, I'm getting it wrong. I get it wrong loads, but I'm like, Lord, I do want to live. I do want to live your way. You know, and why? Why is it really important that the church lives like this? I think it's found at the beginning of Matthew 5, where it says this, you're the salt of the earth, but what, God is, what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? What good is the church? What good is, I, I mean, I've got to say this, right? I really sometimes can't work out why Jesus has this plan. Because there's nothing worse when somebody discredits you, is there? Or there's nothing worse when somebody misrepresents you. And you think, but that's not me. But the way that that person has represented me to another person has left them with a negative thought in their mouths. I'm like, God, why did you use us to be your representation? Do you know all day long, God gets misrepresented. All day long, God gets misrepresented by his kids. And I think, God, I don't know why you do it. I don't know why you do it. Why didn't you just keep Jesus on earth? Because, Lord, we're misrepresenting you all the time. We are misrepresenting you. And I think, oh, I don't want to misrepresent Jesus. I don't know why he doesn't zap me sometimes off the face of the planet. I mean, his patience towards us, because like we just don't maybe misrepresent him once. We repeat, I repeatedly misrepresent him. Now Jesus came. And he came perfect, and he came a savior, and he came in the into the midst of humanity to rescue humanity. And then he leaves us his kids to say, go on, spread the word, let them know, show them, show them, show them, 
Show them I'm real. And like sometimes I'm okay at it, but lots of times it ain't so great. And I'm like, God, why? Why do you do this? Why do you use us? But he does. And he forgives us. Never mind forgiving other people. He forgives us for misrepresenting. But he says, he says to us, we're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? What good is the church if we're in as much relational strife and dis, you know, disorder than everybody else? It says, can you make it salty again? It says, you're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, that's the beginning of Matthew 5. And then he begins to talk about how to shine out the light. He begins to show us how things should be done. He begins to say, yeah, let's just sort this one out. Let's just like get rid of the critical spirit. Let's just start forgiving. Yeah, well, I don't want to forgive God because you don't know what's happened. Yeah, I know. But unforgiveness, do you know if you're struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness? Do you know what? It has the ability to completely destroy your life. You know, and sometimes it's not easy because things, people have done some pretty rotten things. And maybe you're living in the consequence of somebody else's sin. And you see that person appear to get off scot-free and you feel like you're left with all the baggage of the sin. All I want to say is I know it's tough. And I know sometimes there's not even going to be any emotion attached to this initially. But do you know what? Sometimes you just got to say, and this is like where the whole Bible thing comes in and where God strengthens us. You just got to say, do you know what? I can't continue living my life holding bitterness and unforgiveness. Bitterness and unforgiveness is like harboring it, is like drinking a bottle of poison, but thinking that the other person is going to die. Forgiveness and bitterness doesn't mean, uh, forgiveness doesn't mean that you're saying what they did to you was right, but it's all to do with you moving on. You know, it's all to do with you moving on. And you know, sometimes the word of God, it comes to encourage us. And sometimes it comes to correct us because we, we do things and they seem plausible. They seem plausible. You think, well, yeah, well, they've done that. It's fine. But do you know what? There's a standard. See, the enemy comes in like a flood. He comes to seek to kill, 
steal and destroy. He, he loves nothing more than seeing humanity turn against on itself. He, sees, he loves nothing more than seeing us hurt one another. He loves nothing more than watch us ravage each other. He loves nothing more than watch evil and hatred come from our lives towards another. He just sits there, laughs. So I'm accomplishing my purpose. I don't even have to do anything. I'll let them destroy themselves. See, the enemy, he comes in. He comes in to break down that which is so dear, which is relationship. But see, God has given us a standard. God has said, this is the way. This is the way. And sometimes it's not easy. The way isn't easy. But do you know what? I'd rather do it his way and say, Jesus, I need your help. And maybe trip up along the way. Then choose a path which is ultimately, it's going to end in me being broken, in me being hurt, and in a whole lot of other people being hurt. So today, I just want to encourage us. You know, the world that we live in is a really dark place. You know, Timothy says it like this in Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 3 says you should know this Timothy in the last days there will be difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money they'll be boastful and proud they'll scoff at God they'll be disobedient to their parents and ungrateful They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they'll hate what is good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted but the Lord rescued me from it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But listen to this, listen to this. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and because, and they have given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. 
all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I read that and I'm just like, says it all. Everything you hear is happening in the world around us. But you know the thing that captures me? Remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. Remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God raises a standard against him. The New Testament is packed full of promises and direction and instruction to help us live in a world that is going haywire, to make sure that our lives flourish, to make sure that our relationships are intact. And you know, it all gets summed up really in the one verse that Jesus left us, where it says, I'm just gonna see if I can find the reference for you. I don't know, can't find it, but you know it. He says, this is the one thing. He says, forget all the law, forget the commandments. There's just one thing now. Once I leave it, there's just one thing. Love one another as I have loved you. Everything that he taught about gets summed up in there. Love one another as I have loved you. God doesn't judge. God doesn't hold unforgiveness towards me when I misrepresent him all the time. He forgives. He only can see the good in me. He, he loves me, his grace covers me. And today, I wanna to encourage us as a church that relationships are really important and that God wants each one of us to have strong relationships. That, but that may mean that for in some areas, we're gonna to have to grow up. And maybe we're gonna to have to stop doing the things that we thought were right and actually evaluate them against the word of God. And say, is this right? And the great thing is, is that the word of God doesn't condemn, it doesn't bop us over the head, but it's like a light illuminating and showing this is the way. And then we don't have to worry about sorting all of this out in our own human strength. But God says, no, I'm gonna, he sent the Holy Spirit. He sent him to help us. So you know when you've got to make the really difficult decisions, you know when you've got to stop gossiping? Just like, Jesus help me. Jesus help me stop gossiping. And then, do you know what I'd start doing? I'd start writing a list of things you can encourage people with. You know, maybe you analyze what you say. And maybe sometimes it is sitting down and say, actually, I say a whole lot of rubbish. And I don't want my words to be filled with rubbish. And it may actually mean you writing down nice words because they may not come easy. But that's okay. You know, you may get a thought in your mind about somebody. You may just have to physically blurt out and say, stop. Stop, I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to think that way about somebody. You know, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. You know, you may be like, oh. You're like, I'm going to bake a cake. <laughs> I'm going to offer to Hoover their garden. I'm going to do this. 
I don't know. No, you don't hoover. Listen, you know that my housekeeping skills are bad. That is why we hoover gardens. Yeah, Dave hoovers the table when people come over. Do you know what? But we've just moved into our new house and before it was really good because we'd turn off all the lights and put the candles on and no one would notice. But now we don't want to put candles on because all of our walls got really dark. So now we do have to clean the house. Anyway, anyway, I'm getting really good at that now. I cleaned the toilets this week at 6.30 in the morning. We're all good. But anyway, never mind hoovering the gardens. Well, anyway, I say all of that. I don't know why I said hoover the garden, but just do something good. Do something good. When you want to do something that's vile and nasty, just think, oh, Jesus bought me one and helped me be good. There you go. Anyway, let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for each person in this place today. And Lord, I thank you that our lives do not have to be ravaged by sin. Our lives do not need to be filled with relationships that are going to drag us down. And we're not going to be the ones that are going to be negative and mess up other people's lives. Lord, thank you that you sent Jesus. But Lord, also you sent us your word. And Lord, thank you that through understanding your words you are illuminating a path the righteous path for us to walk in so Jesus help each one of us here today Lord help us live life Lord we want to be like salt and light Lord we want to live the, and have a bountiful relationships in our world that you've promised for us and Lord we want to be so attractive to the people in our wills that don't know you. So Lord, help us, empower us in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>